Thank you, Sarah. My name is Zach, and I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is July 11, 2008. My home group is also Big Easy Group. She told you about where we meet, so if you're ever in New Orleans, please come and see us. And uh, I'd like to thank Marsha and Glenn for asking me here. It's always an honor to be asked to do anything. You know, um, that didn't happen that often in my life. And also, thank you guys for the workshop. It uh, it helped me, and I know it helped a lot of people here. And I know uh, that the red bird lives in the tree. <laughs> and it, and, it, and it, it, in the willow tree. See, even I can't remember it. And that's that's why we have clear clear cut directions. Um, I am from I am from Iowa. I grew up there. However. I don't know, five years ago, maybe even a year ago, maybe two years ago, if you ask me where I'm from, I'm, I'm going to tell you, you know, I'm from around. You know, I've been a lot of places. I, uh, you know, I don't want to tell you, like, I'm, I'm ashamed where I come from. I want to be something I'm not, you know. And it's, it's, it's always been like that. It's always been the biggest thing for me about coming up here and speaking anytime I speak in a meeting is what are they going to think of me? You know, I just did a fist step last night with a guy, and every time I sit down with a guy or with somebody else, that huge fear comes up of what are these people going to think of me? You know, and, and I guess for so long in my life, it's because I felt like there was me and the rest of the world. You know, there was me and then all these other people who didn't understand me. And from a young age, I was one of these kids that was running around. I was getting in trouble. I was, uh, I guess... You know, probably uh, if I was born five years ago, they would have probably put me on some Adderall or something or Ritalin. You know, I was just, I was a crazy kid my parents really had no control over. And the teachers always said, he's so smart, he's got so much potential, but he just doesn't listen. You know, and this is five, six, seven, eight years old. And it's not so much that I, that I don't listen, it's just that I don't really respect anybody. You know, and I don't really care about anything anybody else wants. I just care about what I want, and I want it now. You know, and that's the beautiful thing about alcohol. It gives me what I want right now. You know, I get I get afraid. I get afraid in life, and I know what'll take that away immediately. You know, I know that a drink will take that away. And uh, you know, if I if I don't have a solution, that's what I'm going to go back to. And I, I I liked what was said earlier about the fact. I forget sometimes, you know, I forget and I tell people all the time that the problem is life, but really when we, when we get down to it, the problem is that alcohol is right there, you know, and if, the, if I'm not persistent on this path, if I'm not enlarging my spiritual life, I'll go back to what worked for me for 25 years, you know. I took, uh, I took my first drink, I think, when I was 13 years old. I was... Um, I was with a good friend of mine, Jeff, and we were in his basement, and we had uh, lime-flavored vodka and Mountain Dew, and we mixed that all together, and we were listening to Iron Maiden and, like, pushing each other around and just jumping around, and, I mean, this it, it was a blast. There was nobody there but the two of us, but, it, I mean, it was amazing. It was, it was like magic, you know? And I woke up the next day, and I had vomit all over my shirt. That's a, that's a recurring theme early on in my story before I learned how to drink properly. You know, I, I had vomit all over my shirt, and it wasn't like I thought I can't wait to do that again, but it was um, that was a hell of a time. You know, that that was a good time, and I didn't become a daily drinker from that point on. But I do think that 
how some people never cross, or how some people cross this invisible line they talk about. I don't think I ever crossed the line. From the jump, I drank to get drunk. You know, the second time I got drunk, we found this little squeegee bottle with some alcohol in it. Me and three friends got all drunk, drank it up, got on a, a what do you call that? You jump a trampoline. And we start jumping up and down with boxing gloves and punching each other. You know, we're, we're brilliant kids from Iowa. You know? and, uh, and, and we do that, and we get off the trampoline, and all I can think, I don't know it at the time, I don't realize what's going on with me, but all I can think is, we need to go to his house. I bet his parents have liquor, and we still have this squeegee bottle, and it's empty. We should fill it up, you know. So we did that, and that was the first time I got caught, and I, I sat by the toilet, and... Uh, you know, during high school, I was that guy on Monday making plans with people. Okay, what are we going to do on Friday? You know, I wasn't drinking on Mondays and Tuesdays, but it's, it's all I could think about. It consumed my week. Okay, maybe we could go down to this little station and get that homeless guy to buy us something. Or who's got a fake ID? Or how can we get it? You know, that, that constant thought of alcohol, of getting drunk, was there from the beginning. You know, and... Uh, I got in a lot of trouble in high school. Like I said, I have a, a, a little problem with authority. So I would uh, talk back to teachers and I would tell them what I thought. Because here's another thing I learned about myself early on is that I'm smarter than everybody else. You know, And that's, it's, it's, it's a painful, painful world when the other people don't realize how much smarter you are than them. You know, it's, it's just it's, it's a terrible place. And it's, it's very lonely when you're, when you're misunderstood. And so, you know, in, in high school, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting things like a friend and I have to go before a disciplinary board every Friday. You know, and we have to talk about what we did during the week and how we didn't screw up from getting in trouble drinking. I get a, a drunk driving when I'm 17 years old, and uh, that's an honor. You know, we had a little club in my high school, me and two other guys. We got drunk drivings in high school. That's cool. You know, I uh, I left high school. I got a little, um, I would have told you 10 years ago, a scholarship. But what I got was invited to play football at this college. And, uh, you know, I'm always trying to make myself better than what I really am. And so I went to the school and I played football. And what happened was I was second, third string. I wasn't playing and I, I couldn't deal with that. And so I told everybody, the school's too small. I'm leaving this place, man. Screw them. And what, what the real deal was, I, I couldn't be the big shot, you know. And uh, what I did was I ran around and I listened to some bands and I thought I was real cool and I took lots of LSD and I, uh, I was expanding my mind because I'm creative. You know, I'm, I'm an artist and I'm also a bohemian. Right? That's what that's what you call yourself when you don't really have a place to stay when you just sleep on people's couches and like use their money. You're a bohemian. You know? What I've come to find out is I was a loser. You know. And and keep in mind I was I was smart this entire time. You know I, I was an intelligent person, but instead of going to class, I'm gonna get drunk all night and I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. And uh, you know. I've long since abandoned the idea that uh, I would drink like other people. You know, that, that wasn't an, ever an issue. It was, okay, how can I make this right? You know, from 19 to 21, I found this nice stuff they make in bathtubs in Iowa that you put in your nose, and it helped me to drink. 
and I could drink for long periods of time and not black out and not get in fights. And I'd, I'd found, you know, I found that mix. And that, that was a great thing. But then, then I found myself hooked on that. And this is how I think I'm not a drug addict. I just put that down, you know. And then what I tried after that is I would try to work all week, smoke dope during the week because it's from the earth and it's natural and God wanted us to smoke it, you know. So I'd smoke that. And I'd just get drunk on weekends. But what started happening is those weekends turned into, well, I'm going to get drunk Sunday night. And then, uh, you know, we might as well start on Thursday. So then it's Thursday to Sunday. Then it's whatever to whatever. You know, and I, I did all these things to, to, try to, to try to make things right. I'd tell myself, I'm only staying at the bar till midnight. And it would be midnight. And I would look at my watch and say, well... I missed midnight. It's 12.07. I'm going to leave at 1. You know? And then it'd be 1.09. Well, I'm going to stay till 2. You know? Uh-oh, it's 2.20, so I'm going to stay till uh, 3. You know? And I, I kept doing that over and over. And I went to a, a city where some friends of mine who actually cared about me um, pointed out that, Zach, what happened to you? You weigh like 155 pounds, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm normally like 190, 200, and you, you look like shit. You know, why, why don't you do something with your life? So what I did is I went back to that university where I had, where I had played football. And uh, I went back there in the spring, and I met a guy who kind of became my, uh, my running buddy, you know, not just in partying, but in football as well. And he got me to a point where... You know, I, I bulked up, and that, that following fall, I started. You know, I was on the, the first team. I was playing defensive end, and uh, we had a very good team. So here I am really believing I'm the big shot. People are congratulating me after the game, and I've got uh, young guys coming up to me and saying things like, man, Zach, you're so cool. I wish I, wish I could do what you do. And what they meant was, like, eating a bunch of mushrooms after a game or snorting an eight ball of cocaine and drinking until Monday. And I just, I remember, I'll never forget, I was, I was in this house, in this basement, and this guy said to me, said this to me. And I thought, what? Why? Like, I just, I just felt, you know, I was loaded, but I felt that tinge of, this isn't what he should be looking up to. You know, this isn't who he should emulate himself after. And... That didn't matter. I just, I just kept drinking. I kept, I kept doing those things. And uh, you know, I, I should mention that I grew up in a, a Catholic household. I went to Catholic schools all my life. So, you know, you, when you're when you're an alcoholic like me, you you have to have a scapegoat. You have to have somebody to blame it on. And so, a whole church, a whole organization of people is good. You know, but it, it starts with the parents. So I could blame my parents for making me go to this Catholic school and not allowing me to go to high school with my friends. You know, I could blame them because it's, it's never my fault. Nothing is ever my fault. And uh, it was said earlier tonight, I didn't learn until I got to Alcoholics Anonymous that none of this out here is real. You know, any problem that's going on is right here inside of me. And I still, to this day, have problems with that here and there. When I'm not spiritually fit, Here's how my mornings go. I wake up, and I think, I should probably pray. And I think, no, I'm going to go to the bathroom, smoke a cigarette, make some coffee. And then I think, 
God, you're, you're a horrible writer. You shouldn't write today. And I think, you know, your, your girlfriend's mad at you, even though she hasn't said anything. And I think, um, you, why, why are you even going to work? They're screwing you over anyway. You're only getting two jobs. And then what happens in, in, a, in a good world when God's working is my phone rings. And it's some sick bastard on the other end saying, Hey, Zach, man, you aren't going to believe it. I got kicked out of that treatment center again, and I told myself it wasn't going to happen, and I don't know what to do. And I just talked to that guy, and I listened. And all of a sudden, I think, God, all that shit you said to him, that's pretty good stuff, man. Maybe you should go and pray. Maybe you should go and meditate, you know? And I, and I go do those things. Um, but anyway, so I, I left that university, and I, I went to be... Um, a little more of a bohemian, I guess. I uh, I got invited to go teach English in South Korea, and I, I went over there and I just uh, I ran through every job I could, and uh, I was a, I was a terrible teacher. I smoked hash and got drunk and played with kids. You know that? Sorry, kid. I mean the kids had fun because I was like a, I was like an eight year old, and uh, you know over there. Things were happening, and I and I just you know what what I thought was that if I could just stop all of these problems from happening, if I could stop all of the consequences from happening, then things might be okay. And I was talking with my friend Ken outside about this earlier. Is I never went to these other cities or these other places thinking I'm going to stop drinking and life's going to get better. What I thought was I'm going to get to this place and I'm going to meet cooler people that understand me and party like I do and are creative and bohemian like I am and we're going to run off into the sunset you know and and that that's what I thought and you know to this point I hadn't been to an AA meeting this puts me at uh what 27 year old, years old 28 years old in South Korea and I get a bunch of money that I made from from teaching, and I, I was I was in the the hash selling business, and I uh, I, I had about ten thousand dollars, and I went and traveled for six months in Southeast Asia, and I can tell you, people say I wouldn't trade my best day uh, drunk for my worst day sober, like I would not trade those six months for anything. I mean, it it was beautiful, it was absolutely beautiful. And I'm reading all this Eastern philosophy, right? You know, I'm waking up in the morning and I'm 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 smoking a big joint and I'm doing push-ups under the cold shower, and then I meditate for like 15 minutes, and I come out of that and I think, God, I'm so spiritual or something like this. But I I really think at that point, you know, maybe it's about one, two in the afternoon because I've been up for like a half hour, and I think. I'm not going to drink today, you know. I'm going to have a good day. I'm going to go see a temple, or I'm going to go rent a little moped or a motorcycle. I'm going to do some cool stuff. And what happens is maybe I go do those things. But about 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, whatever time, it doesn't matter, I start thinking to myself, and this is the delusion. This is the mental blank spot. I've known since I was 13 years old that every time I pick up a drink, I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to black out. I can't predict what's going to happen. I might be with the most beautiful woman in the bar. I might be with the ugliest man in OPP, jail. You know, I cannot predict with accuracy what's going to happen once I pick up a drink. But I will believe this. I will tell myself, I'm going to go have a couple of these good beers. And I'm going to eat a real good meal. 
and then I'm going to go home and read. And I would believe it. And I'd have that one beer. And I might nurse that beer for a half an hour the whole time thinking how good I'm doing. I think that's kind of part of the mental obsession too. You know, thinking how great I'm doing. I'm, look at I've been drinking this beer for a half an hour. I've got it this time. Maybe I should try it again. You know, so I have a second beer. Man. Well, I did real good on that first one. Maybe I can drink this one in 15 minutes. And then, you know, two, three beers, it's done. And I'm out to the morning. And that, I mean, that was six months of my life. Every day I woke up like that. Every day I still believe that same bullshit. You know, this is the same guy when I was 20 years old. I, I tried to stop drinking and just smoke weed. That's how I used to get sober. I thought sobriety was you just smoke weed all day. I really... Because I never crashed cars when I was stoned. I never fell off roofs or got in fights when I was stoned. You know, I didn't realize that, you know, it, it's hard to get sober when you're high. I just, I couldn't, you know, I'm smart, but I, I couldn't, I, like I couldn't, this is serious, man. I could not put those two things together, you know. So I'm, I'm going and I'm on my little high kick and I think I'm going to make a real nice meal. You know, maybe invite a lady over and maybe hang out with my friends who I've, I've hurt and I'm going to make some spaghetti. And the way I make spaghetti is you take like some mushrooms and onions and butter and uh, green peppers and you need red wine to put into that before you then put the red gravy into all that stuff. So I go to the store and I see like, you know, these little dinky bottle of wines like this and it costs, I don't know, say three ninety nine. Well, then I look at the big handle of Ernest and Julio Gallo and think, well, that's six ninety nine. Why the hell would I spend three ninety nine when I could get this for six ninety nine? I, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm good. You know, I, I'm smart and frugal. And so, so I buy this handle and I go home and I pour my little bit in there and I think, well, shit, whoa, one glass of wine. You're not a wine drinker. You like like cocaine and vodka. You know, wine wine is like. Wine is like weed. It's from the earth. It's good for you. You know, grapes. And so, you know what happens. I drink that whole bottle of wine. And, uh, you know, when I, left, when I left South Korea, I had been kicked. I was the only person I knew who was kicked out of a bar in South Korea, in Busan. I mean, I don't know. I, I thank God some days that I'm a blackout drinker. Because there's lots of stuff people come up and tell me when I go out to hear some music like, Hey man, you remember that time at? I'm like, oh, no, and I don't even don't even tell me about it. I don't care. Like, uh, did I harm you? No. Okay, we're good. You know. And uh, so I get kicked out of there, and uh, and you know, I think, what terrible people. You know, I'm the one who's bringing all these people here. I'm the one selling hash to their bartenders. Why would they pick on me? Why would they do this to me? And. Uh, I thought I need to go to a place where um, I can drink like I drank and had the freedoms that I had overseas. And I thought I, I should go back to the United States because I've been writing at this time. And by writing, I mean like getting drunk and writing, you know, poems and stuff on stuff on bar napkins like brilliant insights when you're really high and then you look at them the next day and. They aren't so brilliant. But, you know, I, I thought everybody in the world had to read these things. And I, I'd be at the bar reading them to people whether they wanted to hear them or not. I, I still do that sometimes. It's just a little better quality. 
Um, you know, but I, I thought I thought I should go to to school for this. You know, I should I should study writing. But where can I go in the United States that isn't the United States? Where can I drink and carry on like I have been? And I thought, man, New Orleans. I thought I will I will go to that country. You know, that should be an interesting place. That's uh, you know, I've I've never I've never been to New Orleans before. But what I know about New Orleans is drunk. You know, that's that's what I know. And I, I got to New Orleans, and, you know, it took me about a week to start hating Bourbon Street. But for that first week, man, I was drunk seven days straight, four days straight, something like that, on Bourbon Street. You know, I'm in a hostel because I don't make any plans before I go anywhere. I just move there, you know. And so I'm staying in this hostel, and what I don't realize is that Mardi Gras is coming up, and they have all the beds. So my bed's going to be gone here pretty soon. So I, I managed to get myself kicked out of there for insulting some French girls early on in the morning and, you know, telling them they should drink vodka while they're trying to check in at 8 a.m. And uh, I decided to go out to California because I didn't realize it's cold in New Orleans in January. You know, I didn't, I didn't know that either. So I go out to California. I come back to New Orleans. And uh, I didn't go to school my first year. I didn't go to school my second year. And... The third year, I finally got everything in order to go to school. I got it all in the works. And uh, I was at this old bar called, it's not there anymore, but uh, it doesn't matter. It's called Lounge Lizards, I think, something like this. And, uh, you know, it's like 8 o'clock in the morning. And I'm thinking, who the hell's calling me at 8 o'clock in the morning? So I pick up the phone and I say, who the hell is this? It's like, uh, Zach, this is Joanna, your, um, your administrator from University of New Orleans. Like, oh, shit. She said, did you realize the class started two days ago? And I thought, no, I thought that started, like, next week or something, you know? And I just, I, I got to school, and um, because I have this problem with thinking I'm a genius, and the only way for me to actually believe that is to put everybody else around me down, to judge every single person around me so that I can feel like I'm okay, so that I can feel like... You know, I am somebody, and uh, that's that's what I did in that program. You know, I, I read people's stories, and I thought, I thought, uh, this is a piece of shit. She's a piece of shit. She can't write. He can't write. And uh, you know, I, I basically made fun of people. And I, I had my friends on the side, the, the people who did the same kind of stuff I did. And uh, you know, by by this time, I'm I'm in New Orleans, but I'm not getting away with the same stuff. I'm getting arrested, and I'm going to jail, and I'm waking up in jail, and I'm, I'm sweating, and I, I've got, you know, those nasty gray pads with pubic hair stuck in the side, and, like, you know, there's 15 people in a cell the size of this table, and it's just, it's disgusting, and I'm in there, and they, they don't even have a Bible in there. They had, like, a half a missalette torn in half. So I'm reading, like, songs of something and just, you know, God help me and praying in there and let me get out of here and I'll never do this again. You know, and I'm in there for a couple of days. And I get out. And there's a quickie mart across the street. And I've got, you know, 8 bucks, 12 bucks left in holding. And I think... I'm going to go over there and get a sandwich, maybe buy a crackhead some chicken or something so I can be a good guy, you know. And I go over there, and maybe I buy a lady a gallon of milk. And maybe I have just enough left for a 24-ounce beer. And I buy that because, you know what? I need a break, man. 
I was just in jail. I need, you know, I, I need, I, I need, I was, you know, and, and I believe this. And the cycle goes on over and over and over again. And I, uh, you know, I get thrown in jail more times. I, I insult people. I was, I was at a party and there were a bunch of the graduate school students from my program there. And one of the ladies who's a professor who had just published a book, I went up to her and I said, uh, I said, that book, that's, that's chick lit, you know? It was like, I'm just rude, mean shit that I should not have said. And I said some other stuff in a blackout. And I, I vaguely remember people kind of ushering me off to the side and, no, you can't take any beer out of that beer tub or the bathtub and you need to go. And I got in a car accident that night. And uh, I was at a stop sign and this guy hit me. And I remember um, sitting on the ground and thinking, I'd just gotten arrested a week before. Um, if I go to jail again, I'm screwed. And I get in my car, and I take off, and I get the hell out of there. And I, uh, you know, I ask, I ask, what can I do? And I was so scared that I went to some AA meetings. I went to some AA meetings in Metairie, which is like the suburb. And I, I went there because I didn't want people in New Orleans to think. I was an alcoholic, you know? <laughs> I'm serious. Even though the whole French Quarter knew, everybody knew I was an alcoholic. You know, but I was ashamed. It wasn't so much, I'll tell you I'm an alcoholic in a bar. The shaming part is saying, I'm an alcoholic, I want to stop, and I can't. Because how many times did I wake up and tell myself I don't want to do this anymore? I don't want to do this. And you could have given me a lie detector test. You know, it wasn't just some... You know, to please somebody else. I did not want to drink anymore, and I couldn't not not drink. And so I got out of jail that time again after a week. That's a long story I won't go into. And that lady I told that her stuff was chiclet, I went up to her at the bar of all places and said, uh, you know, I said some really mean things to you, and I'm sorry, and I don't want you to think I'm an asshole. And she just looked right at me and said, well, you are an asshole. You know, and I, and I thought that I really thought, what what a bitch. And uh, you know, I got I got an opportunity to go to Prague to go to the Czech Republic for uh, um, what do you call it a scholarship that I was given for writing. And I was a month sober when I left for Prague. That means you just smoke dope and go to lots of meetings. And so I was a month sober before I left for Prague. And the plan was that I was going to go over there and write a book about Hurricane Katrina, you know, interviewing people from Europe like they give a shit, you know. And uh, so I, I fly to Iowa first to see my family, and then I'm going to fly out of Chicago. And I'm in Iowa for one day, and I'm drunk. And I don't know what happened. I was sober, you know. And, and I go to Prague, and I'm drunk for seven months. And don't get me wrong. It's still fun sometimes. It's still a blast. What sucks is waking up. What sucks is being sober. I can do all right being drunk. I'm pretty good being drunk. I may offend a lot of you, and I may wake up with remorse and hurt and pain, but I have a solution for that. More alcohol. I made this, I made this decision. You know, and maybe it wasn't a decision. Maybe it was a moment of clarity. Maybe it was something. But I knew that I was either going to have to be drunk the rest of my life or I was going to have to do something. Because I could not be sober. Being sober sucked. Waking up and you got two beers and a thing of honey. 
You know, and if I'm not going to drink, I'm squirting the honey down my mouth. And if I'm going to drink, I'm drinking all the beer and walking down to the shop and then walking to the other one because I'm embarrassed. And I went to some meetings over there in Prague and I'd been to some meetings in New Orleans and I favored these meetings at the clubhouses because at the clubhouses, nobody was really telling me what to do. Nobody was, you know, they were letting me talk about pick up a month ship and just, you know, one month sober. Got to work on all that coffee drinking and weed smoking and uh, cigarette smoking. You know, that's like, that, that's, that's what I was doing. And so I was in this meeting and I was scared to go to it. They had meetings at noon and at 6 p.m. And they were in the basement of some building. And I'd, I'd go up and see the sign and I'd see all the people in there and I would just be ashamed. And uh, I walked down into that meeting finally one day and I sat there and I knew from going to enough meetings that, you know, if you're new, you just shut up. You know, you just be quiet. And I want you to think that I know what I'm doing. And I'd also read the big book about five times by now. Mostly stoned. I have roaches in there and stuff. But, I, I, you know, I had read it. And I could quote things from that. And I'm the guy, and this guy drives me absolutely nuts. The guy you go to the treatment center and he's been there 20 times. You know, and he, he knows he knows the big book. So you can't tell him anything. You know, you can't do anything. That's me. Like, I know everything except how to stop drinking. I can quit. I can tell you phrases, but I can't not not drink. And uh, as I'm in this meeting, after a couple of weeks, maybe I say a word. This guy comes up to me. And these guys are taking me out to dinner, right? And they're telling me all these sick stories like I've just told you. And... They're telling me, you know, how they did the same shit that I did. And they were just like me and the same kind of pain they had in the morning. And it was read earlier tonight. This guy came up to me and he showed me on that first page, you know, how many thousands of men and women have recovered. And that was the first time somebody said to me, he said to me, point blank, I have recovered from this. I'm like, wait a minute, you don't even, you don't think about... You don't think about drinking at all? He's like, no. You know, a fleeting thought will come here and there. I'll smell some weed in the air and think, that smells good. See a big glass of foam on a beer? Ooh, that looks pretty good. But it's not that constant thought. Because what's even worse for me than thinking about drinking is sitting in a meeting and thinking about not drinking. Thinking about, what am I going to do when this happens? What am I going to do if she leaves me? What am I going to do if my book never sells that I haven't written? You know? And, and, you know? And, and I'm, thinking, I'm thinking all these things because I'm way far ahead in the future. And what this guy did, his name was Matt. His name still is Matt. And, uh, please forgive me. And, you know, Matt said... How about you come here tomorrow night and we'll sit down and we'll we'll read this book together. Uh, what do you mean? Why? Okay. And so I sit and I, I start reading through the doctor's opinion and I start reading through some other stuff. I start reading through there's a solution more about alcoholism with him. And uh, they do this trick. They have you know meetings at noon and at six and on Friday night they have a special meeting where they have people go and talk about a step and. You know, I've been reading with him for a couple of days. He said, Zach, you're going to go to that Friday meeting and tell everybody about the first step. Like, oh, okay. Well, 
I know the first step. The first step is that you're, you're powerless. You have a phenomenon of craving, which is once you put the drink in your body, you can no longer control what's going to happen. You have to drink more. But you also have this crazy mental obsession that tells you it's going to be different this time, that tells you you need it, that tells you it wasn't that bad, that, that gets you into that mental blank spot. You know, and he showed me those same two questions. If when you honestly want to, you find you can't quit entirely. Or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you're probably alcoholic. So I left there. I'm like, God, I really taught those people a lot. You know, <laughs> they all knew it. I was the newest guy in there the whole time I was there. People would come in and out, and I'd, I'd be telling somebody with a week, all right, man, this is what you got to do. I'd be like... God, how do you have nine days? Well, I've been doing this. I've been reading with this guy. And I asked Matt, i like, Matt, why, you know, he's got a beautiful Czech girlfriend at home. This guy can play guitar at different clubs. He's a real cool guy. Why are you coming here and meeting me? You know, I said, why, why do you want me to call you tomorrow at two? You know, and both of these reasons are, he's like, I'm not doing this because I'm under any delusion that what I'm doing is going to keep you sober. I'm doing this because I have to stay sober, because I have to enlarge my spiritual life, you know? And he took me through that book, and he got me started on a four-step, and he was going to be leaving the country, and they, they tricked me over there. You know, I wasn't really, there weren't new people that I could sponsor or do stuff with, but I'd make coffee, and people would come in town, tourists would come in town, and I didn't sleep anyway, so it didn't matter. I'd take people out, and I'd show them the city, you know, and I was reaching out to people, and I had... You know, if you're going to a meeting in another country, chances are you've been sober for a while. And so I got these people from all over the world telling me this shit. And I'm just, well, I'm telling them lots of things too. I'm probably talking more than they are. But they let me talk. You know, they let me ramble. Just like I tend to let guys do sometimes in my car. And, uh, you know, so he took me through that four step. And I wrote it all down. And I was on this beautiful island. And... I was looking at the castle in the background, and I started to see, you know, this sounds all romantic. It wasn't that romantic. It sucked. There were, uh, there were people coming by in paddle boats, like smoking joints and drinking beers, and I'm like, these motherfuckers. All right, how was I dishonest? Oh, God, I'm a hypocrite. I do that exact same stuff. All right, self-seeking. I want everybody to respect me. All right, afraid. I'm afraid I'm always going to be alone. And I wrote the same thing over and over and over and every single resentment I had a part in well Matt ended up leaving the country before I had an opportunity to do a fist step with him but he was sponsoring another guy who had three months sober and there was a guy there who had ten years sober and Matt said you can choose anybody you want to do this fist step with and I remember and I, I don't I didn't think about it at the time but looking back on it now even just writing that something had shifted a little bit where I cared more about somebody else than myself because I took that guy with the three months thinking it might help him. John's already been through tons of fist step with guys. He's never done a fist step. Or maybe I thought, well, he'll be less hard on me. But what, you know, whatever. I did it with him. I did some, uh, you know, I did that six and seven step in the hour it takes to do it. I wrote down my amends. And then I started going all around the city making amends to the kids I was teaching in Prague, making amends to everybody. And I get mad on the phone one day. I said, man, I made like six amends already. He's like, what the hell? You're the Jesse James of amends? Or what, what are you doing over there? You need to, you know, talk to somebody before you make the amends. And I, I thank God I hadn't really hurt anybody. I didn't great, make great amends. But uh, 
I leave there, and I'm feeling pretty damn good. I'm about three months sober, and I'm still on the phone with Matt, and I'm talking to him, and I'm back in Iowa, and I know I'm going to come back to New Orleans. And he's saying, Zach, you got to go out there and give this away like it's burning a hole in your pocket. You know, Zach, you need to do this. And I'm sitting around, and I'm doing a little bit of nightly inventory, but not really. And I'm calling him, and I'm going to meetings, and you know what? These people in Iowa, they're doing it wrong. <laughs> Can't believe it. They don't do it like they do it in Prague. You know, and I'm pissed. Really, I think I just wanted to get higher drunk. But what happened is he's telling me all these things, and I'm not really doing these things. And I tell him, Matt, I feel like shit, man. I've made amends to my parents. I've made amends to other people. I thought after doing all this stuff, you're supposed to feel better. And he's like, come on, Zach. We've read this book together. We've done this stuff. And he's like, this program is not designed to make you feel better. You selfish bastard. It's designed to make you useful to others. And I thought, you selfish bastard, how dare you say something like that to me? You know? Terrible man. Eleven step. Matt Howe is an asshole. You know, resent him. And what happens is, I'm at my parents' house, I find some weed. It's in one of these little dugout boxes. I've got bad angel on this shoulder, bad angel on this shoulder. And I'm, I'm putting it in there, and I'm thinking, don't do this, Zach. It was harder for me to quit weed than alcohol, and I know that's an outside issue, but that's just my truth. It was harder. Don't do it, don't do it, don't. And I tell you, I smoked that until the whole box was gone, and then I'm cleaning out the one-hitter with a hanger and smoking like paint and resin and, you know, smoking all that. And I'm dying. I'm three days high, and it's 7 o'clock in the morning, and I've got nothing. And I go out to my dad's fridge, and there's beer in there, and it's Bud Light. And I've got this big ego problem, which saved my ass. Maybe God wasn't ready to take away that character defect because what happened was I thought, I want to be able to tell these fine people in Mobile, Alabama, my last beer was this beautiful Pilsner Raquel in the Czech Republic with a big head on it, and I did not drink that beer. Swear to God, my ego saved me, and I went straight to a meeting, you know. And I was sick as shit when I got to New Orleans, and they weren't doing it right in New Orleans either, you know. And I'm yelling at meetings. I'm telling them they're killing people. I'm all this. And what happened was I'm doing this at a meeting one day, and these three guys come up to me. And my sponsor likes to call it this pocket of enthusiasm that is here, that's right here in this room, you know. And these three guys come up to me and like, you need a sponsor, you're pretty sick. I mean, they said that in not so many words, but, you know, so I asked this guy to be a sponsor. And I'm still talking to Matt, but now this guy's getting me moving forward on my amends. He's telling me, get out to treatment centers, get out to those black hole meetings, the dark tunnel meetings, find that guy who's sitting in the corner dying, pick him up. How do I know who it is? You'll see him. He's looking at his shoes. Nobody's talking to him. You'll find him. And I, I, I start doing that. And what he told me was, he said, Zach, you read that story about the milk guy? I said, yeah, I can probably quote stuff from it, man. I read, you know, I've read it all. He said, what it says in there about Jim is that Jim made a good beginning, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. And then he took me to Bill's story, and he took me to page 14, where it said, for if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, couldn't survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. You know, if he did not work with others, I think there's a parenthesis missing, he would surely drink again. And if he drank, he would die. Then he would be dead indeed. And I bought that hook, line, and sinker. 
because I found these guys that were the same as these people in Prague that were saying the most important thing in this program is working with other alcoholics. You know, my sponsor's sponsor talks about the fact that 15% of this deal are steps 1 through 11. The other 85% is working with another alcoholic. That's where I grow. That's where I confront my character defects. You know, I see my character defects in you. And I want to judge you, you know. And I, I, all I can do is put down that freaking magnifying glass for one second and take a mirror, you know. And so what I'm doing is I'm running out to these treatment centers and uh, I'm doing what I can, man. And I've got these guys I'm working with and some of them are staying sober, some of them aren't. And, you know, my first sponsee was this Vietnam veteran. His name was Warren. You know me, Warren? Warren was crazy as shit. Warren, uh, Warren, 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 I love Warren. I'm going out to UNO. I'm going out to school at this time. I'm bringing guys into my life. Warren, this old 65-year-old Vietnam vet crazy man, is going with me out to school, working on his fourth step during class in the library, walking up to girls, you sure do look pretty today. They're like, Jesus Christ, who is this man? You know. And so, so Warren, Warren is writing that fourth step. And I sit down with him. I'm like, man, I finally got somebody through the fourth step. You ready to read this? And I gave him all the instructions. I showed him what was shown to me. He's like, dear mom, I am sorry for... I'm like, what the hell is that? You know, that's not a fourth step. And I, I, I asked my sponsor, dude, what do I do, man? This guy's crazy. And uh, he said, just, just love him. You know, just keep reading the book with him. We don't know why God put him in your life. If he wants to do the steps, he'll do the steps. If he doesn't want to, he won't do them. And most importantly, go find some more people. Forget about Warren. You know, answer his phone calls, but, for, you know, he's, he's got it. He's writing letters. And, uh, and so, so I, I, get some more, I get some more of these sponsees, right? And uh, about this time, I'm starting to grow a little bit, I think. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm, sponsoring, I'm sponsoring these guys out at the treatment center. And here's what's going on. I'm growing, but it's all about ego. I've got this minivan. To be honest, I don't care. To this day, I don't care that the reason I started sponsoring guys in the beginning was purely for ego. It was like, look at me. See this minivan? I have to bend up the, what you call those by the tire? i got to bend that up. There's so many guys in my car. Look at me. And I'm calling guys who I know aren't going to pick up guys just to call them out. I'm going to get those bastards, you know. And uh, I'm doing this, but I'm, I'm starting to change a little bit. And when I don't know something, I ask my sponsor. You know, it's it's like it's like they, it's, uh, people say, you know, if they're sick enough to ask you for help, you can't hurt them. You know. I mean, I mean, it's it's it, it's, it's true. You know, if, if I'm sitting down with an alcoholic and I'm, I'm reading through that book and I'm sharing my experience, I can't hurt these people. You know, it's better than what they were doing out there. And so I go out to the University of New Orleans and that woman that I told that her stuff is chick lit, you can't write. You know, I go to her and I say, Amanda, I say, Amanda, uh, you know, I'm trying to clean up my past, and I, I harmed you by saying things I shouldn't have said, and I was wrong, and is there anything I can do to make it right? She just looks at me, don't say that shit to people. Like, okay, cool. All right, I got my marching orders. I'm going to go. And uh, about a month later, um, 
these people are coming up to me, these people in the writing program, and said, Amanda came up to us, and she's like wondering what you're up to. She said you came up to her and said all this kind of stuff, and you know, what's that all about? And so they went back and told her, like, I, I think Zach is genuine. You know, I think he's, he's really trying to turn his life around. And that was, I guess, three years ago or so. And, uh, you know, so, so in the meantime, I'm, I'm sponsoring guys. I'm taking guys through the steps. I'm saying yes. You know, I'm answering my phone. I don't answer my phone unless I can get something from you. But these, these are things that I've learned. You know, I hated that word God. I absolutely hated that word God. But God what, what is, is what was missing between me and that first drink. Like I said, I could quit dozens of hundreds of times, but there was no power between me and that first drink. And I, I'm going around a little bit, and I should have said this earlier, but one of the things that Matt showed to me, because I believed he had a power between himself and that first drink, and he opened up the book and he showed me this part that said, lack of power, that was our dilemma. But where and how were we to find this power? You know? And I love that. I love when I'm reading that part with the guy in the book because I stop and make him close the book and I'm like, where are we going to find him? They're like, I'm praying or, no, I know you told me you enlarge your spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others. And You know, they've got all these ideas. I'm like, just open the book up, back up. And it says, well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself which will solve your problem. It doesn't say it'll solve my drinking, it'll solve my problem which is living. I do not know how to live. I am an immature egomaniac who's insecure, scared of everything everybody thinks of me. You know, before I came here, I was thinking, man, I should bring some nice clothes to work I can change into them because I came straight from work to here. And then my brain thought, no, I should just wear the suit from work because then they'll think I don't really care that much. You know, I'm just cool. I just came straight from work. I don't take much time. I'm the same guy who would wear my socks inside out on purpose so that you thought I didn't care, you know? I like I go I go to so many lengths to make you think I don't care because I'm terrified what you think of me. You know, it's absolutely ridiculous. And so he showed me that. And that was this power. That was the, the, the message of depth and weight which I could offer to these guys at treatment centers. And I'm going around and I'm telling my story at places and I'm I'm going to meetings and I made some uh Let's say, let's say maybe I offended some people. Maybe I was a little harsh. You know, maybe I, uh, I, I told people how they needed to do things. And I remember speaking at a meeting like this and just telling my story and thinking, you know what? How happy, joyous, and free am I if I'm going around and saying, God damn it, you would be happy, joyous, and free if you just did it like this. You know? I mean... What I found is I believe wholeheartedly in what I do. I believe the program of action is outlined in the big book. But I have pushed away people in my path. I have since changed a little bit, and I've had people come to me. I've had people come to me that, you know, kind of thought I was an asshole because they've seen a bit of change, right? So I'm sober about, I don't know, a year and a half or so. And I'm at a writing conference in Fairhope, Alabama. You guys know where that is? It's a weird place, man. It's like it's like they it's like a movie set. Like they set hey, somebody moved that tulip right there. We're gonna hold it back here. But anyway, I'm at a writing conference there. And uh, and um, 
Amanda, the woman with the chiclet, came up to me and she said, "You know, Zach, I know that that took a lot of courage to uh, to do what you did, and I, I want to thank you and I want to say I'm I'm honored to be your friend. I'm honored to call you a friend. I think you're a good person, and I have seen you change." So, man, this is that same lady who said I was an asshole. In my brain, what I do is, well, she's a bitch anyway. I don't care. You know, that's what I would have done, left to my own devices. That's me. Going and saying to her, I was wrong, that's Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I'm not responsible for, the, for this stuff that I do, this great stuff that I do. You know, God's responsible for that. All right? That, uh, that same lady, about mm, two or three months ago, about two or three months ago, her husband and another woman read the novel that I've since... You know what? You get sober, you can write a lot more. Especially if you get a limousine job and have a lot of time on your hands. You know, Her husband and she and another woman uh, read this 350-page novel I wrote. This woman is now going through chapter by chapter and editing that book. I did not go and make amends to her so that she would edit my book in the future. I went and made amends to her because it's the right thing to do. You know, I went and this this sick bastard over here I saw at this meeting um, like two and a half years ago. And that's my job at a meeting is to go up and shake people's hands that I don't know. Whether they're new or not, I don't know them. At my home group, if you come up and talk to me, we're going to talk to somebody else. You know, I'm not there to chat with you. That's what Theo's is for. That's what the pizza place where we go after the meeting is for. At a meeting, my job is to talk to the people I don't know. You know, And so I see this guy over here and I shake his hand and he can tell you I had a mohawk at the time and some really cool pants and I was cool and sober. And, uh, you know, I, I, I took him through the steps just because that, that was what's done for me. You know, and about, what, six months ago, I guess, he calls me up, he says, Hey man, you want to go skydiving? Like skydiving? Of course. I'm not scared of anything. I'll go skydiving. You know, I'm terrified inside. Meanwhile, but I think it'll be pretty cool. <laughs> I didn't go up and shake Nick's hand because I wanted to go skydiving. I shook his hand because that's what all of you taught me to do. You know, I shook his hand because he was an alcoholic in need of help. And uh, I remember we were, we got into that plane and. It was like duct tape together, and it was about the size of this table, you know. And we're, we're riding up, and it's shaking, and we're going to 10,000 feet. And Nick's talking the whole time because he likes to talk. And finally, about 4,000 feet, I'm like, Nick, just please be quiet. I just need to meditate. <laughs> and from five to 10,000 feet, I just, I like got silent. And I felt some kind of presence of God. I felt something like, it's going to be all right. You know, it's going to be okay. And I jumped out of that plane, and I was just floating, and I wanted to be doing that forever. You know? And I just thought of this, and please excuse the corny analogy, but, you know, that's kind of like what AA is like. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I, I started praying to a God I didn't understand. You know, I started praying to a God I didn't believe in, right? All I had in the beginning was not me. That's the best I could do for God is not me. And I heard a lady at the World Convention, she spoke my experience. 
She was like 970 years sober. And she said, you know, she said, as soon as I stopped trying to define God, I was able to find God. Because I'm an intellectual. I've got to figure out and tell you this is God and this and this and this. And that was enough for me in the beginning. Just to, just to have that God. You know? And I, uh, I forget that sometimes. And I think that things are about me. And I start to, you know, get, get, get scared about this relationship in my life or this book or this. And that's where, where God isn't. You know? That's, that's where I'm trying to be in charge. Um, real quickly, Sarah already briefly touched on it. You know, I met, uh, I met this woman in Alcoholics Anonymous. I told myself, old idea. Never will I date a woman in AA. They're crazy, you know. <laughs> and and that was that was my my belief. But I, I had come to a point where I I always had to have a woman in my life. Always had to have somebody on the side to make me look good. I'd come to a place where I was okay with just me. I learned how to be intimate through taking people through the steps. I learned how to be intimate from sitting there talking to another alcoholic. You know, that energy you feel sometimes. You're just sitting there. And I like to do fist steps on the water. I don't know. Some people have a God spot. For me, it's the water. You know, and just sitting there and you feel that energy pass between the two of you. You know, and I, I felt that sometimes when I made amends. You know, I have an amends where I made to this woman and I haven't told the beginning of the story. But, you know, when I said to her, what can I do to make it right? She said, you just did. You know? And I swear, I'm getting shivers just thinking. Like, I saw her whole face change. And I was terrified because I, I was very mean to her. You know, and she said, you just did. And that's, that's Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's all I have. Thank you.